1: our weekly Monday Bible study with Lifeline Children's Services. This is Rick Morton. Um, we're continuing in our study today of the book of Acts, uh, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 23. We'll go all the way through chapter 24 this morning. Um, not going to try to read all of the text, um, just because it's it's kind of a, a quite lengthy section. Um, and I actually want to jump back up and start a verse prior to our assigned text today. So I want to jump back to, to verse 11 that uh, Jason Sampler um, talked to us about last week. And, and so as we, as we move into this very challenging season, uh, what continues to be a very challenging season in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, um, everything we see in chapter, the rest of chapter 23, chapter 24, and and going on beyond, all has to be read in light of verse 11 of of chapter 23. And, And that basically is when the Lord came to Paul, it says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And, uh, Obviously, it's really significant at this point when we see Jesus show up at the bedside of paul. there's there's got to be some some pretty deep meaning there. and 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 I think lest we forget, this is not, this is not some sort of a vision or an apparition or something. This is Jesus standing physically. That's what the Bible tells us. It says that, that the Lord stood by him. Um, and so this is Jesus just as much as Paul saw Jesus when Jesus knocked him off the horse and and appeared to him on the Damascus Road. Jesus was right there. Um and, and he tells Paul to take courage, and I, th- I think it's, it's noteworthy. I, I would imagine he tells him to take courage because Paul was probably lacking in courage at that point. Um, you know, if, if you're the Apostle Paul and you're looking around circumstantially at the things that are going on around you, um, you know, you, you believe you have this this call to take the gospel to the Gentiles. and um, But looking at the, the tangible results around you, it kind of looks like he failed in Jerusalem. It looks like that he, um, you know, has failed to this point that he's come and, and, and he's, you know, he's tried to testify and all he's been met with is opposition and strife and jailing and you know we'll see in a minute a plot to kill him um and and so in the middle of all this paul is is probably beginning to doubt whether he's actually going to fulfill the calling that um that God's placed on his life. And and the fact is that's gotta be pretty that's intensely personal to the Apostle Paul. I mean, remember we see over in Romans chapter fifteen, uh, beginning in verse seventeen, where where Paul talks about his work and his his desire to to go to Rome. He saw the fulfillment of his apostleship to the Gentiles being that he was going to go to Rome and, and preach the gospel and and encourage the church and 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 share the faith in Rome. He you know, in, in uh, we see on the other side of his imprisonment in Philippians chapter one. You know, Paul, who is in prison, who's writing from Rome. Um, you know that he's this—he's this guy. It says in, in beginning of verse three of Philippians chapter one. I thank my God and in all my remembrance of you, writing to the Philippians, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. This is Paul in the middle of prison who's got joy. Um, because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So so what happened to, to make Paul this confident, bold, assured witness for the gospel um, in, in prison in Rome, this is kind of the end after, you know, after we see the conclusion of the book of Acts. What, what changed? Well, I think this moment is the thing that changed it, that, that Paul looked Jesus in the face, that more importantly, Jesus looked Paul in the face and said, hey, have courage, man. Because you've got me, um, and, and more than that, that I have work that I'm going to accomplish um, in you and through you, and this calling that I've placed on your life in order to, um, to preach the gospel in Rome and to preach to the Gentiles, that I'm going to fulfill that my way and my time, and, and you can rest assured that your life will not end um, without, um, without, be, without that being accomplished. Now, none of us can claim, uh, presumably, to be recipients of a visit from Jesus. We we haven't had that kind of a bodily experience, but all of us as as believers have things that we've been called to and convicted of and, and, and things that the Lord has pointed out to us um, that we're to set our face toward and things that we're supposed to do. And I think this is a great reminder for us. Paul's not different than we are. Um, sometimes we, we think about Paul like he's different than we are, and, and we think about him like he's some kind of you know supernatural super Christian, but the truth is that Paul didn't change clothes in a phone booth. He's not Superman. Um, he is he's a man who had been with Jesus and and was convinced and convicted by Jesus and was changed by Jesus. But he's a man nonetheless. A man who was apt to discouragement, a man who you know had to be feeling the weight of the things that were going on around him, and and yet in in maybe his you know kind of deepest darkest moment, and and he had no idea what was about to happen. Um, that that Jesus came to him and strengthened him and said, "What what I've set out to accomplish in you, I'm going to accomplish in you." And Jesus says the same thing to us. Um, I think sometimes we write a script that we believe there's a way that Jesus is supposed to accomplish it, and usually that's with us, um, you know, being um, having our best life now, right? Like um, everything turning out well and being a success. And the truth is that, that Paul didn't end up leave, living his best life now. He ended up um, testifying to the gospel in Rome in prison. He ended up being martyred for his faith. Um, there was a lot of a lot of trial and a lot of difficulty in in the life of the apostle Paul. But in the middle of all that, we see here. In in this passage in Philippians 1, that Paul still had uh, an, an incredible, inexplicable joy, and ultimately he had that joy because he had Jesus. So as we kind of continue on in, in chapter 23 what we see is that um, it says in verse 12 when it was day so the very next day um, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath to, to neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul um, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy now this was this is kind of a, a thing that happened a lot in among Jewish zealots in in the first century these guys were assassins they basically walked around with with knives um, up in the sleeves of their tunics and and they went around looking for opportunities on the crowded streets to be able to come up uh, primarily against Roman soldiers and centurions, and to stab them and kill them, um, and so these guys were were essentially um, they were first century terrorists that were rebelling against the the rule of Rome and and basically trying to drive Rome out by making themselves um, you know such a deadly nuisance, and so they they were fearful of Paul, they were fearful of of, of the message that he was preaching and and how you know how the the gospel was changing things for them and for Israel, and and so, um, so they set about a plot, and they were serious about it. Uh, they made a vow. You know, they said, "We're not going to eat or drink until forty men. We're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul." Um, you know, that that's a great word to us. Just to remember that um, that sincerity, sincerity and dedication don't necessarily. Um, mean that something is right. People can be sincerely wrong about things as well. Um, and so we see the sincere beliefs um, and the convictions of of these people and we can't doubt we can't discount their sincerity, but we certainly can understand that they're wrong. I think sometimes in our world today we struggle because we see people that have very deeply held beliefs and have very sincere convictions and, and we're led because of emotion to wanna to give credence to what it is that those people are, are preaching and teaching. And, and the truth is we have to judge the, 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 the truth and the value and the worth of someone's message by filtering it through The word of god and being objective about that not by um the sincerity of of their convictions and so um they can be since these men were sincerely wrong and they were sincerely um, destined to spend eternity apart from christ um and 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 they were they were destined to bust hell wide open uh, because of their lack of belief in jesus um, but nevertheless they were sincere and so um god in his providence um Paul's nephew, it says Paul's, uh, the son of Paul's sister in verse 16 heard of the ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and he told Paul. So, so, uh, Paul's nephew comes to his uncle and he says, uncle, they're going to, you know, these, they're 40 men. They're going to try to kill you. He, Paul then redirects, um, his nephew and sends him by way of, uh, one of the guards. He sends then he sends him to the tribune who is the one who is holding Paul. The tribune hears it, um, And so then the Tribune makes a plan to send Paul on to Felix the governor in Caesarea. And so he, um, so he surrounds him with 200 uh, men and 200 soldiers and 200 spearmen and 70 horses. And he even tells them to put Paul up on a horse, and they leave in the middle of the night, so in order to avoid the assassins and avoid the crowd. Um, God conserved all the details, even the fact that he that that that. Um, that the tribune puts Paul up on a horse. He kind of gets him out of harm's way. And so this is, you know, this is another one of those things where we see the hand of God working in the details um, to accomplish what it is that God has planned, um, what it is that God has called about to happen, that Paul's not going to be harmed. And so he's taken, um, and we see at the beginning of uh, Of chapter uh, 24, that he's taken to to be placed before Felix in Caesarea. Now, um, so at at the end of chapter 23, um, Felix receives Paul. He understands about what the charges are that have been brought against him, and he basically says, Okay, I'm going to give the chief priest and those who are making the accusation time to get here. Um, and and then we're gonna then we're gonna sort this matter out. And so it says in verse twenty, uh, verse one of chapter twenty four. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullius, and they laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, and and what goes on from here is that Tertullius basically lies. And, and he, he says that Paul was a dissenter. Um, he basically lays it on really heavy to, the, to Felix about how wonderful Felix is. And, and then he says, you know, I really, really don't want to take much of your time in verse 4. Um, but he says in verse five, we found this man to be a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews, all the Jews. Um, that's, you know, stirs up riots. That's a lie. He did it among all the Jews. That's a lie. It says, um, all the Jews throughout the world. That's a lie. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, which is a lie. Paul went in and consecrated himself in the temple and he behaved appropriately in the temple. Um, and he did everything that he was supposed to do. Remember that was James counsel to him, um, you know, back several several chapters ago. And it and so he basically says to, to Felix, by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. In other words, he's really saying, you know, take our word for it. Don't really listen to Paul. But if you really listen to Paul, Paul's going to say that he's done the things that we've done, that we've said he did. Um, and so then it says then the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that these things were so. So they they bring a, a trumped up Crowd of people around them that point back and say yes, everything that um, that Ananias, the chief priest, said is true, um, and so then um, Paul gets to speak because he's a Roman, he's a Roman citizen, and it says. Paul begins and he says, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. So Paul doesn't really lay it on thick. He doesn't try to talk about how, how wonderful Felix is and, and everything. He's just saying, you know, I know that you've been, you've been, a, a, you've been a judge over this nation and, and, you, and, and you have this responsibility. And I'm really happy um, to, to make a defense and, and to talk about what I've been accused of. Um, and he says, uh, it's only 12 days ago that I went to Jerusalem. And he said, you can, you can verify that, and, and you, can, you can ask that I didn't stir up the crowd that either in the temple or the synagogues or in the city itself, um, he, he said they can't prove what they're saying against me, but I confess to you um, that according to the way, so Paul begins to talk about um, the gospel and he begins to talk about the church. He says, according to the way, Um, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. In other words, Paul's saying here that I believe everything they believe. I just believe more than they believe. Um, And, and I believe in the fulfillment of this resurrection and that resurrection is, is in Jesus and only because of Jesus. Now, he said. Um, he said, but so after um, he said. So I. I t- so in verse sixteen. I, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. In other words, I've tried to do this the right way to come in and and not to. Not to incite a riot in jerusalem not to profane the faith of the jews but ultimately to worship under the conviction that i that i know the truth that jesus is alive and that he is the messiah and and that um and 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 essentially that they're they're not telling the truth about me and it says um and he says but but some jews from asia uh, they're the ones that ought to be here before you making these accusation, um, should they have anything against me. In other words, they're the ones that came in and caused the disturbance and caused the riot and did all this stuff in Jerusalem. And they're not even here um, to be the ones to accuse me. And so um, so Paul finishes his defense. And and then we, we see in verse 22 that um that Felix then um, defers, basically rendering his judgment. He says, it says, But Felix, in verse 22, "having having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying that when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case." In other words, he decides not to decide, which is, you know, um, sometimes we see that in evangelism and when we're sharing our faith that that, that a person comes to a point of decision about whether they're going to follow Jesus or not, and many times the temptation is, um, I'm just going to think about this and, and, and then maybe do it later. And And, and, but what we most often see is that when people defer, it's just a way to sort of get out of the moment and get out of conviction in order to be able to, to move on. And that's exactly what happens, um, with Felix. But then we see Felix, even in his condition of lostness being used of the Lord in order to, to help to accomplish Paul's ministry. It says, then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. Um, that none of his friends should be preventing from, prevented from attending to his needs. In other words, so Paul's in in custody in in Caesarea, but um, but he's free for people to come and go. He's free to continue to tell people about the gospel. He's he's free to continue to 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 serve the church as the church serves him by by helping to meet his needs for food and clothing and shelter and. Um, and, and so in God's economy, Paul didn't get to Caesarea the way he thought he was going to get there. He wasn't on the road to Rome in the way that he thought he was going to be on the road to Rome, like we talked about in in Romans chapter 16, or I mean, Romans chapter 15. But what we what we see here is, is that God's purposes are still being accomplished, that God still kept his promise. And I think that's noteworthy for us today to remember that God may not keep his promise the way we think it's going to turn out, but God will always keep his promise. And, and so we can be encouraged today when we're in the midst of difficulty that that difficulty is not for no reason um, but it's part of our, it's part of a, a sovereignly orchestrated plan on the part of God and that God doesn't waste anything including our suffering now if we get down to, to verse 24 we see then Paul's boldness in in evangelism it says in in some days after some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was Jewish and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in in Christ Jesus uh, and and so in other words, um, Felix is married to this woman, Drusilla. History tells us that Drusilla was a was a young Jewish woman who had been married to another man, um, and that she had left her husband and and had married Felix and had become his wife. And so she was on a quest for power um, to be the wife of the governor, and and she she essentially divorced her husband for immoral reasons and married Felix. And Felix was a man. Who didn't think twice about um, about taking the wife of another. and and because of his, position and so when um, Paul is invited into their presence to talk about the way to to talk about Jesus to talk about the gospel and they so it says um, they heard him speak about faith in in Christ Jesus Paul didn't Paul came in and he talked to them about knowing Jesus but he talked to them in some pretty pretty um, pretty direct kind of ways. It says, and he reasoned, that being Paul, he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. So in other words, Paul didn't soft pedal the gospel. He didn't, he didn't change. He didn't leave things out. He was being invited into um, to, to this, to gov- the presence of this governor and his wife, and he talked to them about righteousness in the middle of their unrighteousness in their circumstance. He talked to them about self-control at a time when they had not controlled themselves and stayed in the relationships that, that they had started in, but that they had sinned and broken those relationships, and come together um, in a quest for uh, that was born out of lust um, in in a, in a quest for power. And then he talks to them about the co- the coming judgment and basically says to them that that this this. Their sin was evident in front of them, and he says to them, like everyone else, um, your sin is going to kill you. Um, And that's the the true message of the gospel, right, that 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 our sin is is going to kill us um, if not for the atoning work of Jesus. And so Paul ultimately points them back to Christ. But then we see that that Felix really doesn't want, um, he doesn't really want Salvation. He doesn't really want Jesus. What he what he wants is is a bribe. So Felix, coming under conviction, it says in verse twenty five, it says Felix was alarmed and said, "Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you." In other words, Paul got a little too close to the truth. Felix sent him away, um, and then it says at the same time he. Felix hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, um, Felix left Paul in prison. And so, in other words, Paul continued to faithfully talk to everyone about Jesus and to proclaim the gospel, including Felix. Felix gets to the end of we get to the end of this passage, and we find out that uh, Paul was in prison for two years. By Roman law, he should have been released because he wasn't convicted after two years. But Felix makes a politically um, expedient decision to keep him in prison. Um, And that seems like the worst injustice that we possibly can imagine. But God uses that injustice ultimately um, for the sake of the gospel. Because Paul, therefore, you see, is still stays in prison, and he still stays on the road to Rome, and the way he gets to Rome as a prisoner is key to the way that he was able to, to, to spread the gospel and to deeply affect the culture. And, and today, we sit here as the recipients of the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul and, and the things that happened in Rome um, as a result of his imprisonment there. And so had Felix let him go, and and I have to be honest, I, I you know, I, I in my heart of hearts wrestle with would I be a man of strong enough character to continue to remain faithful and not to become discouraged in the midst of the situation because because at the end of the day, I think my tendency might be to say, "Wait a minute, my rights are being violated here. Can somebody get me an attorney? Let's like let's go sue the government to 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 get out of prison because because surely um, this this imprisonment and, and this hindrance is not of God." But what we see out of the story that it actually was of God. It was used by God. It was used powerfully by God, and and that when Paul didn't focus on his circumstances, but he focused on on the Lord. And the opportunity that the Lord had placed in front of him, God was able to use him in ways that Paul could never have imagined. Um, And so today, I I just would remind us as we as we go through our week that um, that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering. We need to cry out for the presence of the Lord, for the provision of the Lord in that. But that doesn't always mean that we're that, that 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 God is going to bring deliverance. Sometimes God has placed us in a place where where things are hard and where we may have to suffer because our faithfulness to proclaim the gospel um, in the midst of that suffering is key um, to God's agenda and God's plan to to share the gospel with the world. And so today, I would just say, take heart. Um, cling on to Jesus. And remember that we see in the story that the Apostle Paul had had the tangible presence and the promise of Jesus to to latch on to, but you and I do as well. Um, and that Jesus has promised that he would not leave us, that he would not forsake us, but that he will endure with us and that ultimately that that we will be delivered into his presence um, as the children of God because of our faith. Um, and, and because of his work um, on the cross and in the resurrection. So today I hope you're encouraged by this word and, and by God's provision. And I pray that no matter where today um, life finds you, um, that you'll be drawn toward faithfulness and to be able to give an account um, to the gospel or for the gospel to, to the people around you um, no matter the difficulties that may be happening in life. pray the Lord will bless you today um, and keep you. Thanks for listening.
0: It's Monday, July 22nd, 2019, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be joined by Dr. Jason Sampler, our Georgia State Director, as he leads us through Acts chapter 23, verse 12, through Acts chapter 24, verse 27. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for our counseling programs. We know that summer can be a time of connection and sweet memory for families, and that families who typically struggle because of lack of schedule, we pray that they can find ways to incorporate consistency. We pray that God would work in the hearts of our parents to keep them focused on the eternal value of adoption and that they can see their struggles through the lens of the gospel. We pray that children would find connection with their families and ultimately with their God. We pray for teen groups that uh, each participant will continue to connect with one another and grow and that they will continue to provide wisdom and direction to Angela, Ashley, and our interns, Anna and Jennifer, as they lead these teen groups. We pray for families to find moments of rest and refreshment as they go through their days and weeks. We pray for soft hearts for all members of families that they can see one another clearly, uh, through the, not through the eyes of anger or hurt, but through the eyes of the gospel, and that God will continue to deepen relationships both with him and within families. We pray for our current therapist at Lifeline, for Angela, for Ashley, and for Kim, and for Whitney. We pray that our therapists would have clarity in how they approach and best help each family. We pray for the continued development of Lifeline's counseling program that God will lead us in developing a business model that's sustainable and accessible to families who need healing. We praise God for the families he has brought to the counseling department and the work that he's accomplished in each so far for their courage and faithfulness in committing to do hard things and prayer for strength as they journey continues and as the work deepens. We pray for support of all for our counseling ministry and the ways that uh, Lifeline can continue to invest. and We pray to God for growth and healing throughout so many facets of the ministry. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have gifted Lifeline with such gifted counselors who are able to uh, counsel families in biblical wisdom, but also in practical tools. Father, we do pray for Angela and Ashley and Kim and Whitney. We ask that you would go before them, that you would uh, give them clarity, And that you would give them understanding as they seek to do the tough things and the hard things. Lord, we just uh, pray for the families this summer who will have certainly uh, a different part of schedule and there won't be as much structure. We pray that they will focus on the tools they've been taught through counseling. We pray that they would uh, wrap around their families. We just pray that you would give adopted families clarity and wisdom, uh, that you would give them understanding and that you would give them great love. Help them to see their struggles through the lens of the gospel. And Lord, we know that even when adoption is hard, even when foster care is hard, that it is also a gift from you. And that all, t- all the times your gifts are not always easy, but sometimes they are difficult. So Lord, I just pray that we would not shrink back from doing what you've called us to do because it is difficult, but that we would be committed to what you've called us to do because we want to serve you for your glory. And so Lord, we just ask that you would continue to help families find our counseling department, and that you'd help continue to grow and strengthen the counseling department in your name for your glory. And it's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can email us directly at infolifelinechild.org. At we look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.